The winemakers are up next, but first, check out this other great show on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. Destination Eat Drink. I'm Brent Peterson. Each week on the podcast, we visit a different foodie city and explore the cuisine that makes that place special, whether it be custard tarts in Lisbon, mango beer in Mumbai, or lizard curry in Guatemala. Download Destination Eat Drink today on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. From the birthplace of modern winemaking, Sonoma, California, welcome to the winemakers. Local experts Sam Katuri, Bart Hansen, and Brian Casey, along with host John Myers, invite you to listen in as they discuss all facets of winemaking. So sit back, pour yourself a glass, and let's hear what the guys have to say this week. I poured incredibly clean and like razor sharp focused acidity shannon is yeah it's, shannon is silent it's almost <laughs> shannon is silent it's right it was brief it was the shin just the shin you didn't get the end hey everybody welcome to the winemakers i'm john myers with sam katuri brian kc part hansen and today jake newstadt hey jake how are you welcome i'm good thanks for having me you guys and uh you're over at bedrock i am what a nice place to end up man gotta tell you it's been great i've been there since 2016 so it's actually it's been a while now. wow yeah yeah really and and you've been through it all viticulturist started. there yep i'm the viticulturist there so bedrock i'm it's i'm sure it's been covered on this podcast but you know we're farming and <laughs> tell the story in uh lodi contra costa county sonoma county um uh napa as well so we're kind of we have farming operations all over the place so that's that's my uh, orbit of just driving around to all these disparate locations in Northern California. What is what is cool. your job? What is your honestly. mileage? What's your like average? Yeah, what kind of car are you driving? <sighs> Let's see. So I drive a Honda Ridgeline. Uh, it's a great, great Vit truck. Um, we got it in the summer of um, 2017. I know because Isabel was there. Um, and now the it summer has of 17 was pot. the summer of 17, the 17 was literally like seared into our brains. We all right. know exactly yeah. what happened in 17. So I think it was June of 17 and now it has 110,000 miles. So that's, that's oh, it's ready five, for an oil change, man. Huh? Five years. It's, it's had a few. <laughs> it'll be, it'll be yeah. fi- it's not even five years. Yeah. So you're going 30, 30 well, a year. And I've got the same year and I've got 45,000 on mine. That's pretty amazing. Right. Yeah, which I mean, is a, which is a lot of trips between your house and the tasting house and the girl in the fig and yeah. the radio station and yeah, some that's doctor's it. appointments. Yeah, that's, <laughs> so that's that's uh, I mean, really, the the bedrock universe of vineyards that you, I guess, you don't necessarily do any of the farming of like Central Coast and South. It's mostly between you know. Healdsburg and Lodi? No, everything Lodi? to the south is fruit that we source. Right. So we, you know, check in on it um, a few times during the growing season. And How far south it. are you going? Uh, we're getting fruit all the way in the Santa Rita Hills, being the furthest south. Um, but we get, we've been getting Syrah from Santa Maria, from Bien Nacido, and, um, and now we're getting Syrah f- from kind of all over the um, Santa Barbara County. I opened a bottle of the 2020 um, California Syrah. Uh, you know, for all those people wondering, you know, smoke taint. Well, there's no smoke taint in that wine. That's a no. beautiful wine. Um, uh, great price. Uh, and, and I was like, should I open this? It's a 2020. And um, no, it's tasting delicious. It tasted really good on day two also and day three. But 
um, and th- there's some that was the start of some s- southern kind of Syrah, right? Right. I mean, I believe the first year that we got we got Biennacito X Block first, and I think that was 2018, and that just showed up at the winery um, from Morgan getting um, offered some fruit. So then, but since then, it's just really grown. And yeah, amid the kind of tumultuous nature of California's climate and our um, situation with wildfires, you know, having that uh, diversity uh, helps. Yeah, you can actually source something that is you want, and there's no problem with any smoke, right? I mean, so, Santa Barbara had plenty of fires, though. No, didn't they? Not that year, they didn't. And um, and even, you know, that it, it's a it's a it's vast it's a vast area, Santa Barbara County. Yeah. It really is is big, and so, um, and you know where those vineyards are, um, the the way 2020 smoke was. Yeah. It, you know, it had so much to do with like airflow and yeah. and you know it's it's a straight shot through that like Santa Maria Valley or whatever right out to the ocean. Mm-hmm. So I think that kind of like I, kept I, the air I didn't really want to start high. I didn't really want to start a smoke uh, conversation. Smoke con- I was just trying to say that the 2020 Bedrock right. Straw is delicious. So <laughs> well, I, I, you know, I've it's definitely like people are starting to talk. Those wines are starting to hit the market now, and I, I've gotten a few queries from. Yeah. readers and folks who are going, you know, what's up with 2020? Inquiring minds want to know. Uh, you know, look, it's the same deal that goes with buying any wine, really. If you trust and know the growers and the winemakers, you have a, you know, or and or have a chance to actually taste it, then, you know, you can probably buy it with confidence. And if you have any sort of, you know, qualms about who made it or grew it or just don't know... You know, be more leery. There, there was, there was good fruit out there, and there was bad fruit out there, and there was good fruit out there that people thought was bad fruit and left out there anyway, right. and there right. was bad fruit out there that people thought was good fruit and picked. You know, it's it's just. Jake, Jake do you deal with um, Chris Hamill out at Biennacito? Uh, yeah, yeah, we do. We will correspond with Chris when it comes to any sort of work we want done on our blocks right yeah. have you, and have you been in that vineyard yes yeah is, is he still times. doing so i remember this is like i don't know eight ten years ago he was creating like a little mini chateau neuf vineyard that he was doing his own wines out of that was like you guys know more than i do it's like head trained or go play right. or something right some it's shit um was... it's more like eschel i think it's like meter by meter on a super steep slope just right above yeah. um the uh the uh Obone Klima Winery there, yeah. Yeah, I remember at the Girl on the Fig, we were getting some of his True Believer wines. They were, and it was just seemed super cool what he was doing out there for his own personal. I'm sure there was a lot of land out there, but he had his own little spot that he was doing some really interesting. Yeah, things. the scale of vineyards in Santa Barbara is is very different. There there are some massive massive vineyards down there. Yeah. Keep going on that. What I mean, how big are they? Uh, boy, the acreage of Biennacito. Does anybody anybody know? I no, think I, I, I no, but it's. It's, it's like massive. vast. Yeah. 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 It's, it's vast. I mean, they get, you know, all the way from A block to X block. I mean, it's not just, they didn't just come up with these names. It's, it's just a giant, a giant vineyard. When there's just, like I said, Santa Barbara County is, is but it's huge. But not, it's not like Central Valley. Giant no, I mean, the, I mean, because Biennacito spans everywhere from this, literally the Santa Maria Valley floor where the vineyards are rotated with cabbage. 
um, <laughs> and row Sorry. crops. So it's the soil is actually pretty light and gravelly, and it's um, it's uh, also calcareous, um, and that's on the bottom. But then it, as you go up the hills, I mean the the range. Even one day I was sampling out there in X block, which is at the bottom of the hill, going into the valley floor, and it was like cold, chilly morning, um, like in the fifties, um, when I sampled that and then up at Z block, which is up at kind of the, uh, the ridge of Biennecito was above 70. So just within that, and that was within 10 minutes. Um, so it's the range of things, um, out there is really amazing. And ripening season is also really slow cause it's so temperate. So, um, the timing of harvest when things are harvested out there is very wide. When, when I worked at the Benzigers, we got some Biennecito fruit for a number of years, and the Syrah would always come in, like with you guys. I mean, like November. We were all we did Thanksgiving Day punt-overs and punch-downs a couple years. You know? And not because you were doing what Isabel and Philippe Correct. Combe told yeah, you to yeah, do. No, we were doing it because you had to keep the you know fermentation. Right. Okay, let's go back to... Should we start from the beginning yeah. as opposed to the yeah. middle? So where are you from? <laughs> Who are you? Where are you from? No, where How are you, you from? Here? Well, this is not my relevant, house. This relevant is not to my the wife. wine I'm making, uh, relevant to the wine I'm making, actually, I'm from Contra Costa County, uh, so the East Bay. Uh, what high school did you go to? Monta Vista yeah. High School in Danville, so I'm in that uh, San Ramon Valley area, yeah. so where I'm from. Um, I went to UC Davis as an international relations major, as... Uh, Wait, I think what does that mean? G- I don't know. Good question. <laughs> <laughs> like, what do you study in international relations? Well, you know, you start in my freshman year, I'm studying, you know, international trade and politics and a lot of macroeconomics type work. And then r- journalism is, is a focus that I had. But huh. to make a long story short, I mean, I started moving out of international relations within my first year at school. Um moving into the viticulture and enology program at Davis. Um, so because yeah, what, what yeah. other than, yeah, other than exciting like, international other than, relations, yeah, you know, boats caught sideways in the Suez canal. Um, what, what steered you away from international? Rela- That's international trade, Bart. Yeah, uh, a call back to 2020, most 21. What fucking year was that anyway? Um, yeah. What, what, uh, what about, you know, Vit, the, you know, caught your... I mean, I knew going to UC Davis that they offer all these interesting courses. So one of those is Intro to Enology, which was a class that I knew I was going to take when I went there. Because I had, I grew up, you know, with a family that drank wine and, you know, was interested in wine. Um, so I took Ven3, um, which is the course, and essentially in the middle of taking the course, just decided that... Um, one, it was fascinating and two, the prospects of what you actually do as an, with an international relations major working for like a multinational corporation or it's, it's a pretty bleak, it turns out international relations are pretty bleak. Um, So (laughs) shocking. (laughs) So was there wine on the table at your, you know, when growing up? Yes. And what were they drinking? Uh, you know, my parents, um, when I was growing up, definitely were drinking a lot of Napa Cab. You know, my dad was in his wine groups that drank, um, mostly Napa wines, but when they were young, like when they were first married, I know they would go 
on camping trips with my grandparents to in taste at Valley of the Moon Winery and spent a lot of time in Sonoma too. So I always remember like my dad saying, complaining, he's like, Oh, why aren't like Zinfandels like peppery anymore? Like what all these Zinfandels <laughs> I remember. And it's, you know, the wines that they, he evolved to drinking were just a very different style. So. it's right. awesome. And yeah. then you started working at Bedrock and said, dad, I, f- I found, I found the pepper, dad. We did. I found the pepper. <laughs> It's there if the guy blending it doesn't screw it up. Exactly. Value, value of the Moon Winery, though. Shout out to the Parducci's, right? Yeah, absolutely. And now Abbott's Passage. Yeah. Aha, uh-huh, that's the history. Valley of the Moon. What I remember about Valley of the Moon Winery is um, they had a scale. Yep. And my dad had some deal with the Parducci's that, you know, when we, because there was definitely no scale at Katuri Winery. There's no nowhere flat enough to have a scale, um, so we would go and weigh in and weigh out at part at Valley of the Moon. Yeah. And they'd let us use their scale. Yeah, when when Kenwood had a scale, and then and but the when they bought it, it was a big deal because the big trucks could go to the Valley of the Moon because big trucks couldn't go to the one at Kenwood. Right. But what I remember about Valley of the Moon is when you walked in and there were those redwood tanks that you know went to the ceiling. Right. Um, and the smell of those old redwood fermenters, you know, when you walk into those old cellars, um, it, it's a very distinctive smell. Mm-hmm. Totally. Um, but yeah. Well, it's also that interesting redwood. that it, it's right over the creek from Abbott's Passage. It turns into apartments. It's just like urban right there. And then, bam, you go 20 feet more and you're in the middle of a beautiful vineyard. And it's really it doesn't fill farm right there. Uh, uh, on the drone road. And well, o- old hills up the hill. Yeah. Um, you know, we used to do, uh, you know, Hamel, which is all right there. Yeah, next across um, the street. It's just a spectacular yeah. spot. And then, well, be- and then Bedrock, Bedrock is right there. Bedrock. Yeah. Right, Bedrock is what you see on the south side of Madrone in that middle section. It's a pretty spot in this world, man. And it is. You get to a lot of them. That's. <laughs> I mean, you talk about your job driving around. It's, it's a. You know, you have to just open your eyes and be happy about that. Yeah, I mean, we, you know, the reason is because we we go to where the old vines are. um, And it takes you, I mean, the diversity of location, you know, the difference of starting your day in Sonoma Valley and ending up in Antioch, California, that's a big uh, difference in in what's surrounding the vineyard. Um, So do you have any other real urban vineyards? I mean, Evangelo, where this wine comes from is, uh, uh, or the wines I'm making come from is quite urban. Um, it's, you know, we lease half the vineyard from PG&E. It's right next to their power plant. <laughs> um, and Bedrock owns the other half of the vineyard. And I mean, this vineyard sits between an abandoned driving range, motels, uh, junkyards. And it, so it's quite, I mean, it's almost. Um, it's urban. It's suburban. It's like the frontier of suburban sprawl. Um, so it's actually it's a a little post-urban even. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> urban de- urban decay. Right. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, I th- there's been a couple of things posted on social media. Someone posted a picture of the train going through. Was that you? Someone I'm po- sure I've definitely yeah, posted those before. Which is pretty amazing. The train right. going, the Amtrak train yeah. going by, and then Morgan posted a picture yesterday. I guess he flew over it. Um, or maybe it was Chris, one of them, and and circled where is it Pato, right, mm-hmm, and Pato. where um, uh, Evangelo are, and, yeah. and relevant to the the river, 
um, and whatnot. But the other thing really, what see, is re- yeah, relevant to Highway Four right. and yeah. that like ex-urban, post-urban yeah. sprawl out there it is it is wild. Like driving on that highway and going, all right, well, I think that's the power plant. <laughs> but actually, it's <laughs> so the second Angela, power plant. It's the second power plant. <laughs> I never know. <laughs> you know, it's just the first. <laughs> you know, and Bart, you said something a couple weeks ago about so many people now producing like at 8th Street East versus, you know, there are no more olive tree lined lane places to create and just, and just go well, buy, buy I, cheaply. They're yeah. all, they're all there. You know, it's just changing. Well, well land, yeah, I mean, it's, right. it's cause land costs are just oh, yeah. so incredibly expensive. You have to start with a very large bank. Um, to right. um, to do that, to buy land and start developing, or just like be the and, bank, yeah. be a conglomerate organ, you know, and that, and, and you know, and if you were a young um, a young viticulturalist and you had this dream of making something that nobody else is really doing, um, to find <laughs> your Bart own piece so, of land. So to set the scene here, in those of you in podcast land, Bart's glass is empty. <laughs> <laughs> and and he doesn't want any more of the Shannon. the Shannon Shannon Fossi. No, um, I want to learn about. But, I want to learn about this. And the reason, you know, we, you, Bedrock is is the, the Bedrock story is is well tread. Although um, <laughs> on this podcast, not that you can't come back on Morgan and actually Chris really um, any time. But the reason that we have Jake here today. Um, is he's about to launch his sherry? Yeah. Can we call it? Is it is sherry a, a like a Appalachian organ or like an or Appalachian controlled word? It is it to is. some extent. So it does. It will not say sherry on the label. Huh. Um, sherry is a term. You can still label things California sherry if it is grandfathered in. Um, but like. What is it, dry sack or something like that? Like, right. I mean, there's still, there's still some California sherries being made. So that, but for for myself, I decided. I mean, I had already decided to not label it sherry. It's it's being labeled as Palomino Fino, which is actually the variety is Palomino Fino, um, and then also it's a Fino. I would say it's a Fino style sherry. We can get into sherry yeah, styles. Let's, let's start. First, of all, why sherry? It was, and let, why sherry? And I know that you know we talked about because wasn't um, somebody else? Gustavo is was Gustavo doing a from Scribe right? Because he, he was Scribe. working with Floor, uh, right? Because he was doing some yeah. yeah. So we've we've had a little bit of a Floor discussion, but floor let's discussion. <laughs> Floor debate. Um, <laughs> will you? Let's start with a yeah. Why sherry and. Just kind of like the thousand, ten thousand foot. What is sherry? For right. those who don't know, because maybe some of them are sitting at this table. <laughs> right. I'll, I'll I'll start at uh I'll start at the what is sherry. So sherry is a style of wine produced in the um, Iberian Peninsula, the Jerez region of Spain, which is the southwestern corner of the country. So the coast of it is on the Atlantic Ocean versus the Mediterranean. Um, and it is a wine made from Palomino grapes. Um, traditionally, it's grown on these super light, chalky soils. And the style is defined by um, producing a wine. It gets fortified to various different alcohols, depending on the style. And then it's aged in what's called a Solera system, which is, um, if you imagine a pyramid of barrels, 
Um, new wine goes in the top of the pyramid every year. It gets fractionally blended down and wine is bottled from the bottom of the pyramid. Um, so what... Over what period of time? It depends on the Just solera. Continue? So some sort soleras of... date to the 1800s. Okay. Um, it can continue a very long time for biological age sherries, which is one style um, that this is. The wine spends its whole life underneath what's called a floor. Um, and a floor is a veil of yeast. It's actually Saccharomyces, but it's a buoyant type of Saccharomyces um, that lives and grows on the wine. So every time you fractionally blend fresh wine, it replenishes the nutrients and actually keeps that floor alive. Um, so, you know, f floors can survive a really long time, but they will eventually um, fall to the bottom. Um, huh. But then there are, there's, that's Fino style. There's a Montiato style, which is starts out as a Fino biologically age and then ends its aging as what's called oxidative aging. So the floor is dead or is destroyed by further fortification and then it ages oxidatively. Then you have full oxidative sherry called uh, Oloroso, which never sees floor and is aged oxidatively its whole life. And these are all typically dry styles. Um, and then you can have sweet Olorosos and these, there are many other types of sherries as well. And what are the alcohols between those different styles? So the alcohol is dependent on the style because of the floor. So for a biological age sherry, the wine is always between 14 and percent and 15 and percent alcohol. And that's a niche that the Saccharomyces that you want thrives. Um, and it will... Um, pretty much eliminate the risk of acetobacter. But is that that's that's still fortified? Yeah. So, so you fortify it up to that point. It'll get fortified. So it's a very light fortification. And back in the you know old days, you know these Palomino vines would be. It's a very productive vine, and they would be pulling in massive tonnages at very very low sugars. Um, and it's a low. It is generally a low sugar variety. So you know things would come in at twelve and a half. Or, or less, and they would get fortified up to f above 14 and a half. Um, but Jake, at this pyramid for um, for a style, you're 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 adding wine to the top barrel, and then then you're um, cycling it down. And is mm -hmm. it the the barrels on the bottom are they losing um, liquid to like what we call angel share or whatever that that and there's no bung in the barrels and they're they're open so they're getting a little bit of oxidation as well or you just so there is um a bung in the barrels usually loosely just because the floor needs oxygen to survive okay. um and humidity is a big factor as well so you need a humidity above uh 70 is ideal so that will reduce the amount of evaporation um and heat as well and then the floor also grows best at above 65 to 66 degrees, so pretty warm conditions, especially to get it started. Once it develops, it can handle. It's a bit more rugged. Those of you that make kombucha out there, I guess, I remember when my wife started doing that and she got the mother. We had to do it in our laundry room, basically, because it had to be someplace where it got kind of warm and humid, I think. Right. So. Though not typical um, cellar conditions. Right. Yeah, yeah. So it's 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 a, it's an interesting style in that way. And there are other strains of floor like what is used in Van Jones in in France, 
which is another floor yeast, but those are grown in, you know, relatively cool conditions. So, but as far as uh, Spanish style sherry, the way their bodegas are designed, the way everything is designed is around uh, creating those floor conditions. And they've, sherry was especially popular in like the 15th century, like the age of exploration. So they've been doing it a long time. And do you think it started like everything else because of an accident? Like someone just, their barrels, you know what I mean? That their barrels were in a place that was warm and humid and all of a sudden this floor started to develop and then they were like, oh, this tastes kind of like nutty and cool. Right. I mean, I don't know, but, you know, that's how a lot of things happen. But ultimately, sherry as it's made because that floor scavenges all available glycerol all available nutrients it makes an incredibly stable wine so as far as transport goes that's beneficial it was a wine that could last on a boat for years right right you can you can take a cork out of a sherry and put it back in keep drinking that same bottle forever right yeah, especially or the oxidative least, styles. Yeah. So the lighter fino styles like this, um, you know, that's actually, it sounds weird because the, the floor produces aldehyde, but it's actually a reductive wine. The wine's in a reductive redox state um, because the floor is scavenging so much oxygen, the oxygen but the aldehyde makes you think it's oxidized. Of course, the oxidized versions, yeah, can take a lot take of, a lot of- can take so, a lot so, of so Bart's glass is still empty. Um, <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. so let's <laughs> either, yeah, let's yeah. start where we sh- and then, yeah, and talk us through what it is. Ta- talk us, and then also, when we still need, I still want to kind of talk about the process of why bottling. Well, yeah, and why, like you know, because you had to start this when you were seven, right? Isn't the <laughs> um, the process of, of you know why you chose sherry? And I and I you know I know wow. there's always the um, you know the that yeah, I, can smell, I can smell it from you, the island stuck right, my nose that it, yeah. uh, sure. that temptation that Morgan and Chris give to all of the people who work there um, to join the sickness that we all have of making something um, and you know why did you take this make this thing that's so so complicated and uh, <laughs> difficult to pull off? <laughs> uh, that's a good question. I mean, so actually getting into Sherry, going back to UC Davis days. Um, I got to participate in a tasting that was honoring uh, Denny Webb, who is an enologist at Davis um, up until the 80s. Um, and he was a big Sherry fan. And he actually had a Solera at the university underneath the campus. Um, and so every year he wore a bow tie famously. So everyone puts on a bow tie and does this Sherry tasting um, and that was the first time I'd ever had sherry. And I mean, I think like a lot of people, I was like, what is this? It's so dry. It's so, it's not the friendliest wine. Um, and, but we had these incredible different versions of it. Um, so that kind of in, kind of planted the seed. And then when I'm starting to learn about wine, what's so amazing about sherry is you can try some of the classic benchmark examples of sherry for under $30. So I started buying sherry, um, and I read, I mean, I was living in my wife's, my now wife's, uh, trailer in Santa Cruz, and she was at UC Santa Cruz doing her master's, and I read the Peter Liam sherry book and was buying sherry from downtown Santa Cruz, and, uh, from, that was really the first style that I actually got deep into, (laughs) um, that, so that was the first style of wine that I really delved into, and it was, Largely because I could afford it. Wow. 
sit there on a bench in Pacific Avenue with a bottle of sherry and a paper bag and yeah. <laughs> just with, with everybody mean, else. I mean, this is, remember, <laughs> right, right. Remember, this is post-earthquake, right. right? You know, I mean, you know, Santa Cruz got a little weirder, you know? It's, it's a, you know, it's a weird and, and then And then picture him, picture him paying respect to the instructor with the bow tie. Yeah. Totally. It's, it's not quite like the guy with the pink dress and the umbrella, but it's, <laughs> it's on its way. <laughs> All right, go ahead, Jake. Sorry. Sorry. Almond. <laughs> he didn't an almond. So he did. He brought the the Marcona almonds. That was like quintessential to the sherry experience. So I, I'm gonna throw myself under the bus here and say, you know, it's interesting because I smell this and I've smelled barrels like that before. Yeah. And where we always tried to fix them, um, are 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 you saying that 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 it could have just it like like we could have made a sound wine out of it and no, called it this? I, I mean, don't think so. So floor is actually pretty rare. The, the right. proper and, floor is pretty rare. And I know this, but I'm trying yeah. to, again, learn and, and, and get some information out of you. So go So what the, you know, the, the aroma that hits you first is the aldehyde that's produced by the floor. Normally aldehyde is just produced by oxygen um, interacting with wine. Um, so... You know, the floors that we see in wineries normally are acetobacter, acetic acid, and, and other, mostly bacteria that uh, form films. Um, so when I made this wine the first year, I inoculated it with uh, Jerez strain sherry floor yeast because it is not something that's just natural in our environment. And then from there, it's been easy to um, every year just every time I add a new barrel, I just splash rack in and it, it forms right away. Yeah. Cause any, like anyone that is just a typical wine drinker, if you smelled this, this smells a lot to me, like a, like an old bottle of white wine that you opened. Mm-hmm. Right. It's got a lot of those same characters. Whereas right. That's not meant to be red, red bottles of wine, typically you're getting like forest floor, wet leaves, all that kind of stuff. But with white wines, you get a lot of this similar aromas. And the, and the reason why you have it with it's classic with almonds is one it's in this wine, I think, especially from this vineyard is it's very saline. Um, so it has, it stands up really well to salty foods. And then the other really typical flavors in cherry are like a finish of roasted almonds or, um, walnuts and that like nutty finish that's there. Um, but then with a fino, which this, so this had a lot less contact with oxygen um, it typically has more of like um, a biscuity and then almost like um, seashore sort of brininess on the nose too so that's the sort of the flavors and kind of the green apple that's there with aldehyde well, I know we sort of talked about it a little bit let's talk about uh, Evangelo Vineyard in context of the fact that there's Palomino yeah. out there in a I mean, obviously, I don't know how much of this you're making, but Palomino out there enough to do something with that specifically Palomino. Um, right. And like how, you know, what, what that looks like. So we see Palomino. So in our all the old vine field blends we work with, Palomino is one of the whites that will show up sometimes. Um, and so at Evangelo, there's um, a high number of very productive, um, healthy Palomino vines out there. Um, but what's amazing is I pick about uh a little under a ton of fruit for this every year and it's from 
55 vines. <laughs> so these are monstrous, what? monstrous vines. Um, so it's the, the vineyard is spaced 10 by 10. All the vines are very large. It's only 400 and change vines per acre. Um, so, but the, the Palomino is spread out is, is blended. It's because right. I thought what I'd heard about a vine, correct me if I'm wrong, is that one of the unique things about it is that many of it's old vines that are full blocks of the sort of like, maybe it's just the mixed black sort of Right. Blend of grapes, but they're in separate blocks. So the, that's the white is different. You're saying? Okay. Well, that's true to the extent that, but really it's, um, it's unique in that there's kind of a section for different varieties, but there's still only like 75 to 80% of that dominant variety. Okay. It's just that there's a Zin section, a Mataro section and a Carignan section. Um, so the Palomino is scattered throughout. So this project started in 2017 after um, myself and Isabel Gassier, the uh, seasonal, uh, our seasonal help at the time in the vineyards, um, mapped the vineyard by variety. So we mapped the entire vineyard by variety. And then we also had a map of where all the Palomino was. Um, So essentially it's the first thing that comes into the winery every year since I've made it. We go out and pick it the weekend before we start to pick Evangelo and uh bring it back so and like i said palomino is the grape of sherry of jerez um so to have that resource there and then chris and morgan knew that i love sherry oddly um so they you know wanted me to try and at that time like one i had no idea if a floor would grow i had no you know i had no idea like if any part of this would work so it wasn't until I bottled this in 2019, the first bottling, that there was actually like something that tasted like sherry and was existed. And at that point, it turned from an experiment into into this. So the first Palomino pick was 17, and then the first you bottled the 19. This is a little bit of the 19. A little, a a little, little bit 19. in 19, which would have been a little bit. 17 a little bit 18 and 19 fruit or right no no 19 so i would have taken i basically took out a little bit of what was in the solaire in order to make room for the 19 fruit right so that was actually going to be my question about sort of the process of um kind of moving the wine down the chain and i guess you sort of answered that with you have to bottle a little bit every year Right. To make room for what's coming in. Except as the Solaris, so as the Solaris being built, I basically have to keep, I can take very little out and I keep adding layers to start, which is why it's taken so long. And for these first two bottlings, I only bottled 30 cases of each one, but eventually I'll be taking out the same amount that I'm putting in. So I'll be bottling more like 90 cases of half bottles in a year. Yeah, it's interesting. This what it takes to get start this up. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean it's definitely a process. Yeah, it's right. long and it's a lot of steps, a lot of blending. Um, and then, are you putting a vintage on the bottles? No, so they're going to be numbered. Right. Uh, they'll be numbered one to however however long it goes. Um, so those will just and it's similar to how um, it'll say the year it was bottled. In sherry, there's a new. 
uh, wave going on of, of bottling wines with less filtration. It was typically a very filtered style in the late uh, late 20th century. Um, and now they're bottling wines, you know, almost straight from barrel with just some pad filtration. So that's more what this is too. Were they just, were they worried about microbial act? Why were they filtering so hard? It became a style. So Tio Pepe, which is a really, that's kind of a preeminent Fino Sherry that's, you know, always served super chilled with grilled octopus on the beach. Like, um, but that style is so, so light, Mm -hmm. um, because it was actually a lot of sherries were being charcoal filled and uh, to make to strip out all this kind of golden color and then make them even more steely, more saline. Um, and it became a style. So recently, more of the fuller sherries and like the sherry they drink in Jerez is becoming more available again. Well, and then the floor, right? If it's dropping down, like it's not very attractive looking, right? The floor when you see it sitting on top of the No, wine. it's kind of like a white puffy film. It's not the ugliest film you can see in a winery, but it's not <laughs> <laughs> But it's Those uh, were in the barrels that I was talking about. Yeah, exactly. It's but kind of, it's it kind of a clean it's kind it, of a right? clean creamy foam almost look on top. Okay, but when it settles down, is there is it visible? Like can you see it in the wine if you held it up in the light in a in a You glass? can't see it. The bottles I, I let them uh settle for a really long time before I oh, oh. I'm sorry. That's all right, all right, we're good. <laughs> we didn't get any equipment yeah. or phones. Nope. And I'll go get some towels. Oh, it smells awesome though. <laughs> <laughs> right, really you know opened it up. Yeah totally Yeah we need some air. Okay, so if anything, it would be like cloudy, maybe. Yeah, so you can see if it's not. This is a barrel sample of something that was just got a floor. So you can see it actually had a floor on it this morning, and then it fell down no after way. being knocked out. So you can see that at the bottom. So um, it's nothing that would be like completely unattractive. So I can see why. I was thinking if you didn't filter it, that it would have like chunky stuff. No, it just in it's there. just lees. And yeah, and things we do a better job doing things unfiltered than what they used to, you know, ultimately right. also. So, um, yeah, I mean, people while we uh, clean up the little bit of sherry spill, sherry spill. Um, so also the, most of the bodegas in Spain are massive and obviously this is a pretty complex biological product. Um, so right. there's definitely was a lot of, uh, so. concern for consistency. Um, right. Like anything else with a, huge winery you know right. you have to be a little safer and and everything uh, has headspace right, yeah right yeah all right so that's the first style and then so that is i'm assuming the first one that's going to be released right so this is the first bottling it'll be the first one that's released yep um so the second bottling is the same style this is the second bottle that's open over here yeah so it's the same style but it's, it's starting to change already in the mm-hmm. glass though which is so cool Mm, you, you almost get like more um, browner flavors, like mm-hmm. caramelly flavors yeah, going I was, on. I, I, I was I picked up a really nice like brown sugar. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. You know, like the aldehyde was gone, and then it was just this beautiful brown sugar. You're probably surrounded in it now, Brian. I am. I'm. I'm, I'm actually it sitting does, in it. It gets all over <laughs> you. Yeah. I will smell like this at work tonight. Yes. <laughs> and not be too unhappy right. about it. And I think one really interesting thing, I mean, the palette of sherry is really unique because it's actually a really low acid wine, but it comes off as middle to high acidity just because that floor yeast, 
eats up all the remaining sweetness in the wine. So it's just as dry as dry can get. Um, huh. Scavenged. Yeah. 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 That's fascinating. That's fascinating. This is awesome. All right. So the second style. The same style, second bottling. I'm sorry. Same style. Second Same bottling. style, second bottling. So essentially this wine just was more recently with the floor. So it has a bit more. Uh, saline and biscuity floor elements. Um, so it really smells like the headspace of the barrels. Yeah. You the, can tell the, when there's the, the sound of the sound of smelling wine on a podcast. Right, yeah. <laughs> and and that I mean it is so much of this is a is a smelling experience. Yeah. Uh, Especially, you know, like, like the way it changes and these, you know, these elements of um, wine that you don't, you know, you don't really get very often. You know, these are just totally different sort yeah, of like not palette your of aromas. Stuff. Yeah. This is, yeah, this is deeper. And you were saying that because we had a little chat before we came on the pod and I was saying, how do you typically drink your sh- drink sherry like like I remember, we tried to start a little sherry program at the at the Girl and the Fig. Cassandra and I were fascinated with sherry. We think it's such a great aperitif, like the, to start your dinner. Like right. it's it's the perfect thing. But we couldn't really get people on board with it. But I remember we were putting it over ice, and we would either peel off an orange rind or a lemon rind and put it in with the sherry. But you were saying you're you're just drinking this straight. Oh yeah, I mean I think you know with the right food, just because of how um, how dry it is. I think it's, it's pretty incredible how good of a food wine it is with a lot of things, especially like briny seafood, almonds, you know, salty dishes. Charcuterie is, right. is Charcuterie, great. Yeah, totally. yeah. Sherry. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, I all these Spanish like foods, oysters. Are, right. Yeah. And I've, uh, you know, if this wine was more chilled, it has a very different character as well. So the temperature really affects it quite a bit. And it actually works at both cellar temp and chilled, uh, depending on what right. you're eating. And how did, like, if someone purchased this and was serving it in the restaurant, what would you recommend that they're serving it at? Uh, temperature? Yeah. I would just say just a bit chilled above room temp. Um, I think the aromas get shut down a bit when it's too cold. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, a, a bit of chill just livens the palate up um, a bit. And that'll warm in the glass. Right. Yeah. yeah. So broken um, refrigerator. Right. Every restaurant has one of those, right? Well, I got or, one or right two. now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> got a couple. Pain in the ass. <laughs> and the girl in the fig had that for a long time. I think that just was the refrigerator, wasn't mm-hmm. it? <laughs> Ancient. Ancient. Sonoma Hotel refrigerator. Yeah, and the acidity is amazing. So yeah, less less yeah. like brown sugar notes on this one. It's it's got more of that um, just straight biological character. And as it is in the bottle for a while, it'll uh, get those mellower notes. That's really, really it's cool. it's totally fascinating yeah. flavors. Yeah, and definitely, um, it doesn't taste of California. No, right? I, I mean yeah. it tastes it's. It's so, uh, uh, you know, old world, old world. It's so European. It's so like, you know, you have a glass of sherry 
or sh- you know, it's it's um, yeah, it's it's, it's mind boggling. I haven't been to Spain yet, but yeah, no, it definitely it, like you know, it's like a <laughs> it makes me the the whole like tapas flavor profile, right. you know, like like food palate. Um, and you know, think, just think about like, you know, you're you're in Barcelona, you're doing like, you you know, like five, six tapas bars, you'd have a different sherry style with every, you know, little weird, you know, one, one bite thing they have there. I totally like, is that the fuel of that lifestyle? Right. And then what is this one that still has the cork in it? Uh, that's the same. I just didn't, it, it was okay. a half bottle, so I didn't know if we'd need and to. And then what is this one with the one on it? So this one I thought was interesting just cause this just got a floor. So this, you can actually see Palomino just as it transitions from like fruity to savory. Right, right. So it's a definitely a wine in progress, but I think it kind of illustrates what the floor does, um, to the palate and the nose. Yeah, yeah. And the Palomino, like right now I have the 2020 Evangelo, um, bedrock, um, by the glass, I think it has some Palomino in it. There is, I mean, uh, some of it is obviously I, I'm picking it out. Um, <laughs> and then, but there is still some, um, we leave uh, a corner of the vineyard to still have Palomino uh, in it uh, just for posterity. But are you guys to, making to a true wow, to That's so different. That's crazy. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt, but it's... And that is the floor that's floating in that bottle a little bit. Yep, so that... Because you just, like, pulled this off the top of the barrel. And if you catch it in the sun sitting here, you can see all of it in there. It's amazing. I I pulled it yesterday, and it was pretty... It looked pretty clear, but then by the next morning, it had the film on top again, so it had just reformed. Um, I, I mean, I think, to your point of... It really shows the... Um, Palomino, what the Palomino is, which I didn't know what that tastes yeah. like. Well, I want to, but it really shows what the floor does to the wine. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's r- really remarkable. Yeah, that's crazy. That's a crazy. That's that's a crazy aroma. The like in between yeah. state of like fruity white wine. I really like this. To yeah, mm-hmm. I mean I like this is this like sharpness to the sharpness yes. as it sort of like starts to turn. With Ooh, the... and then the finish after a while. Have you guys it. had any of the almonds? I've been I've been sneaking the almonds. Through. It's starting to pick up some of those almond flavors that are still stuck in my teeth. Yeah, yeah. Um, so this is about four or five months under floor here. Um. So this is this is the top of the pyramid. Uh, well, the top of the pyramid is what's. I currently have wine from 2021 fortified and topped, but not in the Solera. So that's okay. the top so that's of the what pyramid. This, that's what this is. Um, no, this no. is the 2020, mostly 2020, that got blended with the, with the, into the Solera for the first time. So this is the youngest floor oh. part. But the very top of the pyramid is un, is wine that isn't is, yet. Is single vintage. Right, single vintage. Okay. Um, so, so that right wine the, will the, get blended in this spring. When you bought, when you do another, when you bottle the bottom of the barrel. Right. Right. How do you? How do you know how much to? I mean, like, is there like you just? I mean, I guess you have. You're at some point you're going to be wanting to reach this point of equilibrium where the amount that's going in is the same that's the amount that's coming out. Right. The Solera math for building the Solera was pretty. I like would 
agonize over it. Like how, how many <laughs> barrels do we need? Like how, you know, how to build this. And, but eventually, like you said, it should reach an equilibrium. And then if there's, you know, a really big year, it's hard to force more wine into the Solera than it right. can take. So right. with that extra wine, I, you know, that could lead to other Soleras, other styles, making oxidative styles um, as well. So, I mean, a Solera is, is as big as, I guess I'm thinking at the big places. Um, How many are they true to it or do they, I mean, I imagine the big places they have tricks in doing it. But ultimately, you when you build your Solera, you're building it for a program, really. Like you said, it's hard to build anything into it. So if you're thinking you're starting something on a larger side, you have to start at a large amount. Right. I mean, and it's your, right. the size of your Solera depends on how much fresh wine goes into it every year and then how many levels it is. So a level in a Solera is called a, a Criadera. Um, and it ranges from, you know, I think Tio Pepe is four Criaderas. Um, so that's like an overall younger average age for that wine. Whereas this Fino, still a Fino, but that has 10 Criaderas. So if you imagine if you start with, four barrels but then you have to add every level down um it's just your yearly wine is the tip of the iceberg i mean soleras in in spain span multiple warehouses you know it's more like right. this so whole not, warehouse it's is this it's not necessarily a pyramid, pyramid. <laughs> yes it's right because i don't they're not using barrels right i've seen pictures of soleras like in spain where it's it's almost like a trough right? they use uh they use giant uh, butts, so they use large, like 500 liter uh, barrels uh, that are like actually upright barrel, like upright barrels. No, they're on their side, yeah. but they're just large uh, barrels. I, most of them are actually American oak that then went to um, whiskey and then back to Spain is how it's been, how it's traditionally huh. been done. But some of those barrels as well, like the big uh, houses, like uh, Valdespino have their own in-house coopers that repair barrels in place because some of these barrels are 100 years old. Um, well, and their tag on their bottles since 1430, right. so they've, the, they've updated the a couple this, times. This, is they just have this list of cities on the front, and it's just like different dates. I don't. Maybe it's the dates that they got to these cities. No, because that they took over the cities. They took over the city. Madrid, eighteen seventy-seven. Barcelona, eighteen eighty-eight. Paris, eighteen eighty-nine. Dublin, eighteen ninety-two. When they started Chicago, there. Chicago, eighteen ninety-three, and then it just California, eighteen ninety-four. Uh, Amsterdam, eighteen ninety-five. Is this just like gold medals that they've won? I don't even. World's Fair. When was the World's Fair in Chicago? Not one of these years. 1850s, the 1930s, etc. You're not right. supposed to question this stuff, Sam. You're just supposed, just to, be so, you're just supposed to be like, wow, cities. I'm, I'm sure it's you just know when it they got Jake? to that market. It, it does. That's what it seems like is when when they actually got to that, that market. They got open, to the market. Opened yeah, up yeah, totally. Chicago and that's what that's what I think too. Tokyo, 1970s. It took them a long time to spelled, get out here. <laughs> spelled the Spanish way, I guess, with an I. Budapest. Wild. So it's a in Jerez or it used to be Cadiz is was like a really a hotbed of activity for a period of time like it was very posh um, very cool in the explorer age and in, in fact it was once sacked by sir francis drake to steal sherry so it was a big deal uh, add to the list of sir francis drake's <laughs> well, you could see like life on a you know boat 
in hot, humid temperatures, how this, you know, even even a little bit warm would be refreshing. Would be refreshing with you know, and it you know get you a little buzzed, a little fortification. Um, I could see it being you know the the number one taste of conquistadors (laughs) everywhere. (laughs) And it's stable; you can take it on the road. Right. Right. Totally. As opposed to you know fancy at that time, you know the monks' wine in France and Burgundy, you know that tasted good in the cellar, and you know by the time you got it to Paris, it started to be weird. Yeah. Right. So what is it I'm thinking of the, in Spain where I've seen like these big troughs? That's more like the, how do you say it? The amontillado? The... Yeah, because even amontillado, which I also have to try, is um, it's still just done in the, in the in big... In barrels. In the butts, yeah. Okay. Um, so the oxidization is just from just exposure to air over a long period of time. Right. So if you want an oxidized wine, they fortify it to 18%, which uh, kills the floor. And then it. stabilizes it, and then it, so, and then it's influenced by oxygen for years. I mean, there are Oloroso, like I said, Oloroso Soleras that date hundred plus years. And then where you said you were adding in a Harev yeast? Yeah. So in the first year, I inoculated with a isolate of Jerez floor yeast, just knowing that we just don't have, um, don't necessarily have a native floor yeast uh in our wineries so and then from then it's just being propagated in the in the wine yeah, i'm wondering if you were tempted to just pour a little bit of spanish sherry onto the top of just some enrama un- like most of them are really filtered but some of the enramas now maybe you could get some some like some living yeast in there right. yeah brian you do a a roan sherry I some, fucking some... love sherry, and we had this conversation. And I just wish more people were into it. It's one of those things that I know um, bartenders are, you know, are using them in cocktails. Right. They're using it as an ingredient in in cocktails. But it's there's, I mean, and, and I'm not hanging out at Spanish restaurants either. Like I'm not in the city in those little alleyways right. where the Spanish restaurants are. You said in Hillsburg, what is it? Uh, I know Bravas has a nice sherry right. menu, and there are some. It, it's definitely gaining. It kind of ebbs and flows. It's it gains, and yeah. you know, in California, you know, there was a time where, um, after the 1950s, where California produced more sherry by um, multiple times than Spain. Like we were producing so much California sherry, you know, most of it was pretty bad. And well, I, I mean, think is that sort of like when it became, I, I, cause I you know, the first thing I, and I, you know, this is probably derogatory but the first thing i really think of when i think of sherry is is cooking wine right right is that when it sort of like made that there was just all that bad california sherry right it became popular in cooking and you know before you know even pre-prohibition it was really popular in in bars um and then but the california sherry which you know also most of it was sweet a lot of it wasn't made with palomino it was made with burger or other varieties uh in the central valley um, yeah, it just got a really, a bad reputation. And I mean, even for the region, it damaged the region of it, Jerez as well. I mean, it's still in a pretty serious economic depression since its heyday. So taken down by bad sherry, bad California sherry. Yeah, exactly. So this, um, this sherry 
Um, same style. Val, Valdespino. Um, any idea of what era of, you know, how long ago it was bottled? Uh, um, how long for- has it been open? You know, I mean, again, trying to educate us, is this something that your wines will turn into? Otherwise, I guess I'm meaning less aldehyde and, and even more of the complex aromas and flavors. So this is my favorite sherry. Uh, one, it's, it's very affordable for what this wine is. It's one of the few single vineyard sherries uh, made at large scale. Um, and it's also, uh, it's normally $25 22 to 25 um it's it's a naturally fermented in oak most sherries are uh fermented in stainless steel now um and then it actually has 10 criaderas so it's a massive um massive solera so it it has time to develop a ton of complexity over the years even though it doesn't come across this wine is probably an average age of 17 to 18 to yeah, 20 years old. And, but it, you know, it was most likely bottled in the last couple of years, but it doesn't come across as a 20 year old wine. Right. So, in a, what, how are the, we can't even form the sentence. <laughs> how, what, how old is the oldest wine in a 10 layer Solera? Like the bottom of that bottom barrel is. So 50 years, how long I mean, can it go? I mean, basically it was when it was started, right? It's the old, it's, it's still at some point, there's still some fraction of a fraction in that bottom layer. That's from the original. In a purely biological Solera, eventually a floor in a really old barrel will faint is what okay. they call it. So in, at that time, that barrel will generally be moved into an Amontillado program or another program. So it's really the, oxidative barrels once those oxidative soleras have wine from when they were started in them um so yeah like olorosas will have you know wine all the way back to the 1800s in it it's similar to a sourdough starter isn't it i mean how you keep a little bit of it right. everywhere a little bit keeps going. Yeah. Yeah, totally. i mean ultimately i'm sure what's what's the max that you've had 50 years you've tasted oh i mean i've had some of the, you know, some Olorosos and Amontillados that are, go back to the 1800s. Yeah. Um, because these wines, you can find those wines. Yeah, you can find them. And even, again, even some of the, like, actually the greatest, most famous examples of sherry can still be found for 150. Yeah, right. You know, the, these absolute... You know, the height of sherry is still pretty accessible yeah. by wine standards. So will a will a, a bodega have, in one place, they'll make the three different styles? Because, you know, the, eventually, even in, in your sense, in your case, eventually some of those barrels, the oldest barrels, are going to faint. Right. And then, and then would you, from there, start a, a Montiato? Did I say it right? Right, that's, uh, right. that's right. Close enough. And uh, and Della Rosa, Demo Rosa, Olorosa, Olorosa. Right. Uh, <laughs> and then you gotta would, say Jerez. You gotta say it like the Spanish too. Jerez. 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 I can't. Jerez. I can't. Uh, you know. I, what is it, I, King I, George or whatever? Right. I, was. Yeah. I I learned um, 
you know, Sonoma yeah. Spanish, <laughs> right? Sonoma, it's not even Sonoma like, Vineyard. Sonoma Spanish. Vineyard Spanish is is not of any sort of country of origin except for Sonoma. He says pinche really good though. <laughs> <laughs> I got me pretty far in Mexico, actually. <laughs> All right. So what are your so what do you envision for like price points and placements? And just tell us about the label. Yeah. I'm I'm imagining something with the you know some reference to a bow tie, but I mean that's just and can Brian give some at the Fairmont? Right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> um, I mean, I could I could show you guys a label or send it to you, but um, you know the label and was is a bit of a modern uh, take on classic sherry labels. Right. So I looked at a lot of classic sherry labels and also just other uh, classic Spanish labels. So it's it's text based um, and. Uh, but it has, it doesn't have all the uh, ornate parts of most of the old sherry labels. So um, pretty a, b- a bit minimal in that sense. And then for this wine, uh, you know, we're looking at probably mid thirty dollar range for these half bottles. Um, so you know, obviously this is made, like I said, from fifty vines, fifty to sixty vines planted in the eighteen nineties. Um, it's a single vineyard and it's just, it's an odd thing and there's not very much of it. Um, so if you're, so the message is if you want one of these bottles, you better pay attention because yeah. they're going to, and it takes a lot to get to it. I mean, right. California, want to, you know, maybe not quite California champagne, like, you know, timing, but this has been a process. Five, five years in. Yeah. Five years in and it's just going to get labeled soon hopefully yeah and and would you say and it's ready to be released upon that yeah yeah <laughs> you're the, the you're like the bring f- on the cash flow <laughs> <laughs> five years is a long time o- old barrels to pay for um and you'll release the so the 2019 bottling yep the plan right now is to release the first bottling and i think the second bottling as it is will uh benefit with with a, a bit of time before a second release, right. um, and and yeah, it'll be you know just through a website, an email list for for now, and then um, I don't know, might drop off some bottles at weird places where they like this stuff. Like I mean, you know, Cordy Brothers is where I go to buy sherry in Sacramento, so um, they've just got an incredible selection, and um, there are some lovers out there that I'd like to have them try a bottle. Absolutely, and how many? So how many barrels are least, in your Solera? Table. So how many barrels total are in your pyramid? How many barrels? Yeah. So I have, um, I have five barrels, um, and then so a it goes couple. Three, two, one. Right. Yeah. Okay. Three, two, one. Okay. Um, five barrels, and then a couple uh, clay amphora that I that are just 15 gallon that I wanted to try that are actually made here on Sonoma mountain. Um, what? Yeah, wait, by, wait a uh, minute. What? We just yeah, got a curveball. Uh, the, uh, Randy, mm-hmm. right. His, his connection. Yeah. Yeah. I forget the guy's name. Yeah, me too. Uh, right. So, I mean, that's just, I wanted to, you know, you're always looking for neutral vessels for this. And I, um, I didn't finding access to very neutral, large format barrels. Um, has been difficult. So I'm using neutral regular sized barrels. Um, but I wanted to try, you know, something with no very little wood impact. And then the nice thing with that is it allows a lot of oxygen 
in right. so the floor really thrives in it and it gives a you know a, a different character in for the, blending in the, the amphora or in the breaks in the amphora just because it's a bit porous and that floor has has really taken off in there huh. um it looks yeah yeah it's been interesting to work with and so um, where in the okay maybe this is a question when you're bottling are you bottling some from every bear and you're only bottling the the sort of quote unquote bottom right layer right so where in the stages is the amphora they're at the bottom, at the bottom. layer yeah so they get you know okay. it's it's a very small portion even at this scale so it just gets a bit um into the final blend yeah um and then does does sherry benefit at all from bottle aging because you're you're in a like normal wine you'd say right benefits from bottle aging but when you're talking about sherry there's zero oxygen in there so then is is it just held at a stable condition um so i mean the thought used to be that like you wanted to drink fino sherry super fresh just to get like the full like what you guys saw the difference between a couple years of bottle age versus just bottled of that like really in your face floor character um but i think especially when they're when it's a bit it has a bit more stuffing and it's not super filtered and all this stuff that it can really benefit from a bit of the oxidative uh, richness that comes with some bottle aging. Hmm. Um, so I've personally like, like a wine, like Innocente can definitely, uh, take some age. Yeah. And it's amazing. This, this one that you brought, what is it? In- Innocente. Yeah. So Valdez, the roundness you know, to it. And right. That, yeah. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. It's an, it's an amazing, it's one of those wines of the world. That's just like, it's massive production or like very big production, but just like such a complicated style and right. like a very impressive feat of winemaking that they've been doing for such a long time. Yeah. Very cool. It is really delicious. Now, would you be offended if someone put this over ice and put a little orange rind in it? I think you should never be offended by what people do with wine. Yeah. They should just drink it and enjoy it. So that was kind of yes, a little was, bit. But but as long no, as but... as long as they buy another bottle, <laughs> I will say, right. Right. you know, I think uh, for cocktails too, like I think that more oxidative versions work better in cocktails. Like an Amontillado was normally what you see, just because that the very uh, brown sugar nutty notes can yeah. like come through. Where this is a bit subtle. I mean, right. it's not subtle, but in a co- context of a cocktail, it's a bit subtle. Yeah. Right. Well, we have some cocktails where we add like. California Chardonnay, but I could see this right, being right. way more interesting um, to add to it. Yeah, it could be really and cool doing the same and that sort of filling that role of like adding some acid, but also adding a body bit of and texture. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh oh. All right, we said the right things enough, or asked yes. the right questions, and we get to try. It. So th- and th- Bart's glass is no longer empty. Let's see. <laughs> I've actually not had this one, so. <laughs> All right, we're opening something new here. The whole, like, you know, sort of classicness of the package and presentation is totally, like, part of that with the, you know, with the sticker tape on the top with that. Well, talk about that. What's it going to cost? Cause I think there's a knife on that one. Oh, too. thank you. Are you going to do the traditional thing where the cork has the little, you know what I mean? It has the little pull top like a lot of liquors do, or you're just going to do standard It's going to be corked, okay. yeah. Um, these, uh, the bar tops just, they're not... <laughs> 
Bar tops are a pain, are a pain in the ass. Yes. Yeah. We, you know, we used to use them for olive oil, and they, you know, they pop. They're, well, you, you attach one now, don't you? Give it to we, you when we you try to. I, I um, would rather not, but the olive oil uh, person, my mother, says it's appreciated. However, okay. I gotta tell you, we opened a new bottle last night, so. Um, so this is an Amontillado just to kind of see where it goes into the next phase of oxidation. This is a unique wine by Alvear, which is uh, a unique seller in that they use Pedro Jimenez um, because of the region they're in versus Palomino as a grape, which is another white grape in the region. But it still shows what the style of an Amontillado is. And the aroma is almost like root beer, sarsaparilla, nuts, mm-hmm. c- cashew, dried fruits. But then it's it's the acidity. It, you're expecting to almost taste something sweet, and you right, don't. yeah, and yeah. Pedro Jimenez as a variety has more natural acidity than Palomino, so yeah, these wines can come across as very racy. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, if, as this project goes on for a long time, you know, eventually it kind of organically you create situations where you're going to be making an Amontillado. So. Right. Maybe at some point in the future, there'll be an Evangelo Amontillado Solera. Right, and like timeline for that would be, <laughs> right. A long time. Right, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it'll be, you know, if if JP, uh, Joel Howard Peterson the third says that Jake's grandchildren can <laughs> right. yeah, gotta... roll in, then they'll still be, the, right? I mean, that's not quite that extreme, but it's almost that extreme. Right. I mean, once Tell the floor about it. Yeah, exactly. Once the floor is gone as this antioxidant, it ages oxidatively, you know, much pretty, faster. Pretty um, but still, yeah, I mean, Solaris are will be included in the will. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, how what is the the time what is the 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 lifespan of the floor? Like how long can you expect one of those barrels to keep going for the Fino style? You know, I've read it it really depends on um, the conditions. So even in Jerez, uh, there's a huge difference in floor between the town of San Lucar de Barrameda, which is right on the ocean, and then Jerez, which is more inland. So right on the ocean, that floor can be up to an inch thick um, and super healthy and last a really long time. So those wines are very reductive. Um, and then in Jerez, they're much thinner and more stressful. So they tend to be more intense and nutty and um, and have those sorts of characteristics. So if you have great, humid, perfect conditions, you know, I've read 20 years, 20 to 30 years, um, and then other people say more like 12 to 15. So it really depends on the conditions. So really, you know, these wines, your project is, is in its, it's not its infancy, but it's, uh, you know, it's in preschool, it's in kindergarten, in that sort of sense of, um, you know, so five-year-old floor yeah so it's still looking pretty strong but you know eventually you know i could take a barrel from the bottom fortify it a bit more and start an amontillado right you Um, just you could do it intentionally do it you could kill it off with a little bit extra Mm -hmm. which is what's generally done like the style of amontillado is just defined by at least a couple years of floor aging and then oxidative so it has a little of both and then what about alcohol same level 
Uh, normally they fortify it to 18 to 19. This one's 19. Okay. So I would be looking at, yeah, 18. And and I think what you, our, our licenses, we can sell up to 19, right? Right, so you go 18.5. 18.5, 18.8. Yeah. Ah, that's on the floor. Fascinating. Is anyone else doing this that you know of? Anyone else, like a, a you know, a independent producer making their own cherry? You know, I know I've seen one, and I've not tried it, um, but there is a Palomino being made uh, in the, I believe it's the Central Valley, um, and it is, yeah, I've seen it at Cordy Brothers before. Didn't there used to be a Solera over at Sebastiani? Yeah. There was, right? And then they sold it off. There was there was something happened, I think, when the last sale happened. Then. Most of, away. like, the classic, like, Louis Martini had a Solera. Right. They, most of them had a, a Solera. Um, actually, I, I, there's a big review on Sherry by um, uh, Dr. Cruces, another University of California professor in the early 1900s, and he basically summarized and described all these different Soleras at these different wineries. Hmm. Um, so there was quality. There was a lot. There was plenty of quality California Sherry right. too, and dry styles, and but um, it just didn't last. Yeah, isn't that funny that people people don't realize every time I serve Madeira, I I kind of tell that story to people at the restaurant that you realize at the time of the signing of the, of the Declaration of Independence that something crazy like seventy to eighty percent of wine that was drunk in the United States was sweet wine. Right. That's just what people drank. Well, I mean, again, it's also about transport stability, right? Stability, right? And to, uh, totally, yeah, and availability, and availability. So, you know, as I keep finding out more and more about my grandfather and great grandfather who were actually not, they, it wasn't that they had a dairy and they made moonshine. It's that they were moonshiners and they had a dairy. Right. Right. Yeah. Availability. You can, you can, uh, you can hide a lot of money in a dairy. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, right. But it's wow. so cool that like old world stuff kind of coming back right and then not just coming back but but like young people like yourselves that are yeah. willing to do some investigative work not only that but also enjoyed the the product and the process and then introducing it to a whole new generation yeah, of awesome. people yeah well the, and the process piece of it is like um because it's so different it's such a like di- you know different way of talking about the same thing, fermented grape juice. Um, yeah, and who's like going to add this extra? What twenty-five-year-old is going to pick up a bottle of dry sack sherry off the shelf in Safeway and go home and unless and, unless some recipe that they read on you know bonappetit.com with pork New York Times food said yeah. you know you need a bottle of sherry. Yeah. Um, probably not happening a lot. Yep. I also want to note that any future guest who may be listening. Um, Bringing snacks was a good idea. Yeah. Well, I think we realized that last time, yeah. didn't we, with the chocolate-covered pretzels? Mm-hmm. So bring something to pair with your wines. <laughs> so, Jake, um, this comes out in a few days here, and hopefully... Well, or it sounds- the website goes live in it right. as we speak, right. as we are releasing. Okay, so give right. yourself a shout-out. Let people yeah. know how to get a hold of you. Um, you know, throw it out there. 
Yeah, so the website is solarisdelpacifico.com. You know, Where basically. You, you're going to have to slow that down for a lot of our listeners. Yeah, Solaris, so S O L E R A S, uh, Del Pacifico, um, as opposed to Atlantico. Um, and gotcha. uh, <laughs> uh, so that's, that's the website. You know, it'll just be an email sign up to get updates as to when the wine's actually available. Um, and then Instagram is also Solaris del Pacifico. So that's, that's where we are. And it's just this one wine for now. Like I said, it might evolve into more. I left room in the plurality of the name for that. Um, but for now it's just this wine, uh, just the Evangelo. So, um, can we talk about your day job for a second? Absolutely. So what's, as John, what I always like to say, what's going on in the vineyards? I mean, you're at um, you're at a, an area, some of your vineyards, where you could have a weird, really weird vine that might start to bud, start swelling. Um, I assume you guys are either pruning or almost done with pruning. And um, somewhere along, I saw somebody posted a picture of because of last year's growing conditions that it's made pruning kind of. You have to be very thoughtful about what's going on out there and what you have to work with and. Would you mind talking a, a little bit? Yeah, not right? a lot to work with. Do you mind talking a little bit about that? Right, yeah. So we we started pruning out in Contra Costa County, which is our earliest sites for bud break, um, actually just a couple weeks ago. Um, but out there and with a lot of the sites that we farmed, dry farmed, and even some of the irrigation sites, like Sam said, there's just um, many of them are very drought affected in that not only did you lose yields, in last year, we also have poor wood to prune to. So skinnier shoots um, and, you know, most likely um, not as fruitful as normal. So, you know, the way we're pruning is being conscientious of the fact that we um, last year was, you know, extremely low vigor and we don't want to bonsai them really hard and end up with a lot of vigor next year. So we're still leaving, you know, enough new wood to allow the vine to grow a little bit and then, you know, leave us the opportunity to have some fruitful buds on there. Um, and we can adjust in season, um, to make sure to keep the stress off and, um, try to help the vines rejuvenate themselves a bit. Cool. Yeah. No, but nothing's, nothing's starting to grow out there. Uh, there's, yeah, you know, some of the really, um, especially in Contra Costa County where things were incredibly stressed, you know, it's on, we got four inches of rain, less than four inches of rain out there last year. It's on sand. It's, there's no irrigation. Um, so there are sections that, you know, grew shoots that are eight inches long. And some of those where it didn't even fully lignify at the tip, um, are pushing leaves now because they got some water. It hasn't been that cold and they're like, we need to, we need right, to grow. Right. I mean, it's if, if anywhere, it would seem that that would be an, an area prime right. for that and totally. stuff. Um, Sam, what's Phil's uh, call for the spring, and, and are we going to get any more rain? And are they just approaching it like we're not? I mean, um, at this point, you kind of have to think it's, it's over? spring. I mean, yeah. no, there, there's, there'll probably be more rain. Um, Remember, I told what I told you earlier is we just got word yesterday that we're right. supposed to open, open up the pool bar for Valentine's Day and President's Day weekend because it's supposed to be in the mid seventies yeah. and 
Yeah. I'm going to go skiing while it's, there's still snow. No showers in August, man. Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, uh, you know, the, the weather's warm. We haven't really gotten any rain since, you know, in 2022. Right. Right? Dry January. And uh, looks that way for, you know, at least the first half of February. Um, you know, you're, we're, everybody's pruning right now and kind of racing through it. At the same time, you know, if you prune something that is just starting to push a little bit, it, it might kind of push it back. Um, and, you know, because you, you don't... There's places where you want bud break early and there's places where you don't and varieties you do and varieties, varieties you don't. So, it's you know, you kind of play that math um, as you, you know, go about getting everything ready for ready for spring. Uh, you know, there's a lot of places, a lot of the cab that, you know, is all pruned and tied and ready to go. Um, you know, the Grenache and the Zinnel will be last. Just let it go. That's all you can do. You know, the thing that we, it, it's going to be an early year no matter what, and it was going to be an early year even if it had kept raining because we had so much rain early that, you know, the vines had this chance, uh, you know, and I, I think that'll be the saving grace for, you know, like some of those older vines that, you know, the dry farm vines that got really stressed by last year's, you know, uh, you know, I, was, I think Will Buckland talked about this, you know, those vines that got rain while they still had green leaves, but didn't have any fruit, um, were able right. to build up some carbohydrate reserves that they, you know, wouldn't have necessarily, had a chance to, uh, and because of that, they're going to start growing and they're going to probably grow with some vigor, at least early on, you know, we'll see kind of what the spring and summer does, but I think things are going to kind of come out of the gate pretty, pretty fast and pretty hard. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing too, about the old dry farm vines, which is fascinating is like they, you know, self-regulated and put out very little growth with the drought, but then we had leaves you know, they held onto their leaves through the whole season. Like we didn't get defoliation of dry farm vines and you saw a lot of irrigated vineyards, you know, that, that defoliate. Um, so the self-regulation that's there, even though there was no crop and not very much growth, um, they did, um, regulate themselves in that way. So to have leaves when it rained is a big deal for fall root flesh. Cool. It'll be an interesting year. Of course. It's going to be an interesting year. You know, we're at, it, it's, we, we haven't had, we haven't had rain in, you know, we're going on five weeks now. Mm-hmm. Snow packs at 95% of normal for this time of year because there was so much so early, you know, so it's, it's hard to say. What was it like last year, this time? Uh, it had rained. You mean the snow pack? I'm just talking about. Any of it? It had rained like. Weather and what's going on. Had it rained at all, you know probably kind of the same thing it hadn't rained a lot by this time last year but because um, we didn't have like we didn't have any rain in november december right. february bailed us out a little bit uh i think it was wetter it had rained more in february than any other month last year if i remember that sounds that sounds familiar what, what year is it <laughs> it's moving fast isn't it oh, sam man. i mean the intensity of this wine i'm sorry i'm not going to try to pronounce it the style the Amontillado. 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 Um, the intensity of it is crazy. Like, it's so... Really, I, I'm just kind of blown away by it. Right? Complexity. Yeah, complexity mm-hmm. and, and intensity, both. 
and, and after it was sitting in my glass for the last 10 or 15 minutes, mm-hmm. also, like, completely changed. They started yeah. making this stuff in 1729. Damn. Jake, this has been awesome. Thank you very much. Um, <laughs> I, you know, I, I guess that I saw it, um, you know, I found out about it from an Instagram post, and I was just fascinated with the fact that, well, first of all, at the time, I didn't know that the, that's what we made sherry out of was Palomino. Palomino. Um, so... Um, Yeah, how, did, how did Palomino get here? So. You know, there's not a ton of definitive information on why it's here. I mean, we usually go back to the fact that it's a very productive vine. So, you know, getting having a bit of it in your vineyards is not a bad thing. It's actually a really interesting wine. Not that they necessarily knew this or they didn't know this at the time, but when you talk about co-pigmentation or um, having cofactors and anthocyanin, Palomino is packed with tons of those cofactors. So it being in a red wine, co-fermented can actually make the wine darker. Um, Right. So it's one of those. It has a lot of um, cofactors. So maybe there was an inherent idea that it improved quality to have it out there. But, you know, we don't really know. Or I don't really know. Somebody knows. Maybe. Maybe that person. Morgan knows. And whether or not Morgan knows, he'll give you an answer. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Anyone? Shout outs for anyone? I heard Jasmine's going to fucking Arkansas or Tennessee or something for Paso. Tulsa. Does that mean you're coming? I'm going to Paso. Sorry, anyone that lives in any of those places we just said. (laughs) Shit. I was like, wow. (laughs) No, it's the, uh, the... Philbrook Museum does a big wine auction and experience weekend, uh, and there's a big focus on Moon Mountain District. Uh, and Phil's going, and as good as Phil is at doing lots of things, um, act, the actual selling of the wine isn't often his strength. Right. So that's what Jasmine's going to do. Okay. So yeah. I mean, you're coming down? I'm going to pass him. Awesome. Okay. Shaping up really nicely here. Right? <laughs> yep. Yeah, don't tell Jasmine. <laughs> she knows, believe me. Uh, MJ, shout out MJ. MJ. He'll be there. No. Yeah. yeah. We, oh, have, yeah. we have a little uh, little thing cooking, MJ and I, doing maybe a, a crossover episode. What? Yeah. What? Like, just like all of us get together right. down there and record. Right. Maybe it'll be his... Um, his or ours or whatever. Yeah, or just both. We are going to bring this stuff just... Because we have to. Right. Okay. Can we do it on a time where I'm not working? I'll be done yeah. at 3 o'clock. Okay. Yeah, we'll, 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 we'll give us your schedule. Yeah. We'll and I got out. reservations at um, the hatch for Friday at 6 o'clock. I, I, I thought that we would probably all need food around that time after doing what, the first. Uh, what, what a, what's that first Friday? Hey, we probably don't need to talk about yeah, this on this maybe thing. Not on the show. Yeah, maybe We're not like on planning yeah. our. What are we thinking? Like nine o'clock? <laughs> well, we, let's yeah. Let's, let's let's. I gotta look at my schedule. Right. Let's let's reconfirm on this off. All right. Well, I got my credit card <laughs> down, right. so we'll we'll be there. Um, I I got a little Rossi the declared, uh, you know, Valentine's is for Rossi. So I, I got, as this is live, uh, listed every wine from the Rossi Ranch that we've had including some new releases in the Petit Syrah and the Zinfandel so from 2013 to 2018 listed on the website right now wow cool um and a new sort of 
phase of website for us. So go check it out. Bear with us. Call us if you have problems. But um, some magnums of 2017 homage blanc, which are just like lightning in a oh, bottle. Hi there. Yeah. Um, so check that out. Uh, you know, Val Rossi. Valentine Rossi. Rossi is for lovers. I um <laughs> I, I have... pull it together. So pulling it pulling it all together. I like Sherry. <laughs> and Sherry looks good Sherry. on you. I remember I dated yeah. a girl named Sherry. Yeah. And I got her a Valentine's Day gift. Get some Sherry for Valentine's Day. Um I have my spring release coming out. It'll be the two thousand nineteen Valeria, so look for that email coming out there. And then I'll I I um <laughs> right, exactly. Well, I I've been watching the list of when people say, Oh, I got these emails today. I'm like, Really? Your spring releases in January? Really? Yeah. It's it's springtime. I, I, you're right. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, you're just always always behind somebody, right? Exactly. Which means you're ahead of them on the other side. Right. And and the girl in the fig is um, doing some anniversary for their 25th anniversary. They're going to be doing dinners at Sweet D. And for each year, um, taking menu items. Oh, that's right. And so the first one is from the first year. And so, um, wow. it's sold out. And I, for I some reason, I think that's good. yeah. And yeah. but for some reason, I'm I'm the featured winery for that first year. Wow! So pretty excited about oh. that. Yeah. How, how many years before Dane was born was that first year? Um, a, a lot. A lot. Okay. Well, twenty five so years ago, years and Dane's going to be fifteen next week, uh, so ten years. Right. Wait, what are you pouring? Uh, I have, I still have a little fourteen Valeria that I'll pour, and then the current Rossi. And so I guess for each year, there's going to be a different menu from that or selections from from that. Um, and then there'll be a different winery um, featured for each one. So I'll wait for my email, John. Right. Right. Well, I, you know, I, I <laughs> was wondering I, I was wondering who was busy because there's no way that I was right. at the top of the list. I mean, <laughs> when is this? They didn't ask me, so you're higher right. on the list than I am. That's what I'm getting at. Maybe it's the people they'd like to sell more of their wine thereof. Um, yeah, this one, the first one is February Sunday, February 20th. So I think uh, there'll be a. It, I guess to do 25 in one year, you get they got to do a couple a month. Right. So Four. congratulations to them. Like, yeah, two a week, two a month, two a month. Yeah. Cool. Anything else? That's it. All right. Subscribe, review. Tell your friends. Drink more sherry. Drink more sherry. You'll be able to now. California sherry that doesn't suck. Hashtag there's, California there's a sherry. More. Let's blow it up. Let's Hashtag California up. There's, sherry. A, there's a tiny bit more. <laughs> and it comes in a small bottle. <laughs> All right. Thanks a lot, Jake. Thank Appreciate you, guys. It. Thanks for having me. You betcha.